I shared with you uh, a week or so ago a little poem from this book. And uh, it is, uh, I got it from one of you. I'm not sure who, maybe Brother Henry or I don't know. Maybe it came, maybe had come from Brother BF. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. But um, it's, a, it's a little book of poems by Halder Lillinus. Halder Lillinus wrote a number of the hymns in our hymn book. And um, he, uh, I, I was not aware, I, you know, when you're a writer, a, a prolific writer, you write all the time. So you know um, that guys like Halder Lillinus have, have things, I'm sure, that probably if there's any of his family around, I'm sure they have things of his that he's written that nobody's ever seen. Um, but uh, I had never seen this little book before, uh, and I was so happy to find it. And um, I uh, found another little poem that I wanted to share uh, with you from Halder Lillinus. And this one is entitled, Too Busy. Too busy to see the glint of the sunbeams, the blush of the rose, the gleam of the stars. Too busy to view the tints of the rainbow, the dash of the waves, or yon sandy bars. Too busy to hear the songs that are swelling, the music of earth in rapturous praise, too busy to hear the sob of the orphan, the cry of the poor, and lost of the race, too busy to feel the pitiful sorrows, the anguish and pain, the turmoil and stress, too busy to sense the need of our neighbor, the tears or the groans of those in distress, too busy to touch with hands of compassion, the ones we might heal with kindness and love, too busy to guide the feet that are straying, to lead them to light and to heaven above, too busy to lose, and yet we are losing, too busy to pause while moments pass by, too busy to live, and yet we are living, too busy to die, and yet we must die. Often we are too busy, and uh, oftentimes simply too busy to pause and say the things that matter. I, uh, you know, every once in a while you'll hear people share some kind of a tribute or, or uh, words of honor, gratitude uh, to some that are still living. And uh, they'll say something like, I want to give my flowers, I give my roses while my loved one is still living. Reminds me of the story of the, uh, of the two men that uh, uh, they encountered each other at the cemetery and uh, one uh, uh, of an Asian uh, descent. He had, uh, according to their custom, he had brought a large meal and set around the grave of his loved one, the, the plates of food, and, and uh, kind of somewhat elaborate. And uh, uh, an American man standing nearby saw that and kind of scoffed a little bit and, and made fun and said, when is that one uh, that's passed on, when are they going to come and eat that food? And that man turned and looked at the other and said, same time your loved one comes to smell the flowers. <laughs> so we are often too busy. And I do not want to be too busy 
to say thank you. I talked to you a couple weeks ago about Ebenezer moments. You remember how uh, in the book of Samuel, they raised a monument uh, that he called Ebenezer. And it was to be a monument to what God had done and how God had helped. Uh, This evening, I want to talk to you for just a few moments about the peril of forgetfulness. The peril of forgetfulness. The Israelites seemed to be perennially forgetful all throughout their history. In fact, let me just, uh, let's just be real honest and say that's not an Israelite problem, that's a human problem. Uh, We are all prone to be forgetful. Uh, That's why uh, we try to train our children from a young age, don't forget to say thank you. Don't forget to say please. And, and certain things that are drilled in uh, and, uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, that it, you do your job well. There are things, uh, that, uh, things that I was trained when I was a young boy and, uh, and they're still there. And often I find the behavior will still come out. And, I, and I'm grateful to, to my parents for raising me uh, and helping me to remember the things that are important. If I could invite your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, um, <clears throat> the whole book of Deuteronomy is really about reminding uh, the Israelites of the things that they ought not to forget. Um, in fact, the word Deuteronomy literally means second law, or it is a reiteration of the law. Uh, so much of what you find in uh, the books of Etic- uh, Exodus and uh, Numbers, Leviticus, much of what you find there, you will also find repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. And uh, as we begin uh, reading the beginning parts of Deuteronomy, you'll find that Moses is about to die. His time uh, on earth uh, and in leadership of the Israelites is growing short, and Joshua Uh, is uh, about to take command, and uh, there is a new generation that is coming on. All of the the generation uh, that had come out of Egypt and all of the ones that had seen the powerful working of God's outstretched arm in bringing the plagues to Egypt and in bringing the Israelites through the Red Sea and through the wilderness, feeding them with manna and giving them water from the rock and all of the things, the, the powerful actions of God, the generation that had seen all of that Uh, was doomed to perish in the wilderness because they were whiners and complainers. They made themselves a stench in the nostrils of God because of the way they complained, the way they failed to remember that God had taken care of them. So God said, you're all going to die in the wilderness. None of that generation is going to come into the promised land, except for Caleb and Joshua. So now this new generation, this, the, all of these people that have been born uh, to the nation of Israel since they had come out of Egypt, and, and some probably that were young, young children, Um, they are getting ready to go in, and Deuteronomy uh, is all about reminding them of the things that God had taught them and the things that God had done. 
Uh, so let's read just a few verses from Deuteronomy chapter 8, first of all, uh, verses 1 and 2. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now skip down to verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. There is a danger to anyone who reaches the point where they feel like they are where uh, uh, God has intended to bring them to. Okay, we're we're in the place now um, that that God has been bringing us to. That's what that's where the Israelites were about to come to after uh, after the book of Deuteronomy. They're about to cross the Jordan River and go into the Promised Land. And and when they came across, they could have said to themselves, "Here we are. We're in the Promised Land." We're in the place that God has promised to bring us to. And uh, at the good place we are, I I didn't read these verses, but verses 7 through 10 gives a little description of the land of promise, the Canaan land. Uh, The Lord your God, it says, is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. They're they're about to come into a good place. And so Deuteronomy is all about helping them get it in their minds that uh, they need to be wary lest once they get into that good place where they enjoy all the benefits and the blessings of the promised land, they forget all that God has done for them. When we come to the good place where we feel like we are where we ought to be. We know we're right with the Lord. God is blessing. We're in the center of God's will. If we're not careful, we can easily forget what we left behind. We can easily forget what we left behind. Notice verse 14 says uh, that you... uh, 
when you come to the good land that your heart could be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. First of all, the land of Egypt was, was not the homeland of God's people. You know the story how uh, during the time uh, when Jacob and his sons sold uh, Joseph into slavery, Joseph found himself there in Egypt and uh, the famine came upon the land and then Joseph was able to send for his family, his father and his brothers, and they were able to come down to Egypt and find a place to survive and they were there for some 400 years. But it was not their homeland. It was a temporary place of sojourning so that they could survive. The land of Egypt became for them a house of slavery. It turned into a house of slavery because, as you recall, uh, we read about the life of Joseph. And after Joseph passed off the scene, another Pharaoh came along that did not know about Joseph, that did not know uh, about the Israelites. And uh, as the Israelites continued to multiply and continued to grow, uh, the Egyptians grew fearful of them and so enslaved them. And it became a house of slavery for them. I wouldn't wonder if it had not been the case uh, that uh, things had turned uh, the direction that they did if the Israelites, God's people, would have found themselves to be content to stay in Egypt. When we find ourselves, in fact, we know that uh, as the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness on the way to the promised land, it seemed as if every time they found themselves in trouble, whether it be wanting for food to eat or wanting for water to drink, they continually said, uh, complained to Moses, we were better off back in Egypt. We were better off as slaves. <clears throat> but they were in a land where they did not belong, the land of Egypt. They were in a house of slavery. And how did they get out? How did they get out? Well, God brought them out. In chapter 7, we read about uh, verse 6, uh, or rather verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. The Lord brought them out. And friends, it's so easy when we come into a place of relative comfort and relative security. It seems as if we enjoy the blessings of the Lord. We enjoy the favor of the Lord. How easy it is to forget what we left behind. And we can fail to remember. Uh, we see it throughout Deuteronomy and especially here in chapter 8. But uh, in chapter 8, verse 17, uh, we read these words. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Friends, we must not forget what we left behind. And I don't want to say that we need to be continually living in the past, uh, 
We don't want to be uh, continually living in uh, shame or discouragement over the past, over what we used to be. But yet at the same time, it doesn't hurt every once in a while to remember what God has brought us out of and to be thankful. When we get to the good land, we can forget what we left behind. We can also forget what has happened on the way. We can forget what has happened on the way. Notice a couple of different verses here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. It says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Then verses 15 and 16. Uh, speaks in greater detail about how God led them through the great wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water and how God brought water out of the flinty rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. It says that God led them. He protected them. He provided for them and he preserved them along the way. What if God had not done those things for them? What if God had not provided? What if he had not led and protected? They would either still be stuck in the land of Egypt in slavery or there'd still be Israelites wandering in the wilderness. But because God was good and faithful, he had set his love upon them. He brought them out. I so enjoyed as a young, uh, as a young boy and a young teenager hearing uh, my grandparents, uh, especially my, my grandpa and my dad's side of the family, uh, hearing him tell the stories of his life and how God had blessed and how God had provided for their family. Just so many wonderful uh, stories of provisions from the Lord. I enjoy reading the biographies and, and uh, the, the accounts of, of uh, ministers of years gone by and how God worked in their lives in powerful ways. Many of you have probably read the biography of George Mueller and how God laid it on his heart to care for the orphans. And uh, he, uh, for, for whatever reason, I don't believe God does this to everybody, but he felt as if he was never to ask for, uh, for assistance or help, but he was only to trust God. And uh, you can read in his story, his life story, about times when uh, they would get up in the morning and not have breakfast to feed the children, many, uh, sometimes hundreds of orphans that he was caring for, and yet he was faithful to pray and believe God, and God never failed to supply their needs. We can easily forget what has happened on the way. And friends, as we uh, have come, uh, as Sister Linda would like to say, we've come from a mighty long way. Let's not forget all that God has done along the journey. Let's remember and be thankful. <clears throat> but also when we come to the good land, we can also easily forget why we came in the first place. We can forget why we came in the first place. If you go back over to Deuteronomy chapter 7, we read there verses 6 through 9. Uh, God speaks through Moses to the people and says what he intends to do with and for his people and why he's doing it. 
It says there in Deuteronomy 7, 6, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Friends, what God has been looking for from the very beginning all along is the people who will be uniquely his own people, who will live in intimate relationship with himself, a people that he can bless in order that we can be a blessing to the world around us. God isn't playing favorites. God was not playing favorites with the Israelites. If you read the story, you can read throughout the Israelite history and find all along that God didn't intend to leave anybody out of his plan of redemption. But his plan the whole time was to bless them and through them bless the entire world, all the nations of the world. And now we find in this New Testament age that we live in that God has brought this to pass through His Son, Jesus Christ, and that He has blessed through the nation of Israel. He has brought a Savior that now all of the nations of the world can know God in an intimate relationship and be uniquely His own people. This is why He has worked in our hearts and in our lives in the first place not just to make us happy, not just to give us gifts and blessings, though I believe there are times when God, like any loving parent, enjoys just blessing His children. But it's also for a purpose. It's so that we can be uniquely His, existing in intimate relationship with Himself. <clears throat> if you were in the right place at the right time, on a certain pier, I believe as I heard the story, it's, it took place in the state of Florida, you would see an elderly man walking to the end of that pier with a bucket in his hand full of shrimp. And you would see him in the twilight hours as the sun's setting, tossing out pieces of shrimp to the seagulls, and the seagulls would flock in and come and eat the shrimp. And if you were close enough to see him, you might also get close enough to hear him. And if you were close enough to hear him, you would hear him softly saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. You see, that man was Eddie Rickenbacker. You may know about Eddie Rickenbacker. He was a World War I fighter pilot and shot down 22 enemy aircraft during World War I, was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. In World War II, he served as a civilian advisor whose plane went down with a crew of seven men while flying over the Pacific Ocean. 
on one of those flying missions as they were out over the ocean, over the Pacific Ocean, uh, for whatever reason. I don't remember all the details of the story, whether they were shot down or whether they had mechanical trouble or what, but uh, for whatever reason, he went down uh, with his men, with his crew of seven. Miraculously, all of the men survived the crash, and they were able to crawl out of the airplane uh, that was quickly sinking, and they climbed into the life raft. Captain Rickenbacker and his crew floated for days on the rough waters of the Pacific. They fought the sun and they fought the sharks, and most of all, they fought hunger. By the eighth day, their rations had ran out. There was no food left, no fresh water to drink. They were hundreds of miles from land, and no one knew where they were. They needed a miracle. That afternoon, realizing that they were in dire straits, they had a simple little devotional service, prayed together for God somehow to intervene, and then they tried to take a nap and sleep. Eddie leaned back and pulled his cap down over his nose to cover his eyes and laid there as time dragged on, and all they could hear was the slap of the waves against the sides of their raft. But suddenly, Eddie felt something land on the top of his cap, and it was a seagull. Eddie would later describe how he sat perfectly still, thinking carefully of what was going to be his next move. And after a moment, with a flash of his hand, he reached up, and with a squawk from the seagull, he grabbed that seagull, and they had lunch. They tore the feathers off, and he and his starving crew made a very slight meal out of that seagull. But then with what was left of the remainders, the innards of that gull, they were able to use for bait, and with it they caught fish, which gave them more food and more bait to catch more fish. And so the cycle continued, and with that simple survival technique, they were able to endure the rigors of the sea until they were finally rescued. Eddie and his crew spent 24 days in the raft before being sighted by American airplanes. Eddie himself had gone from 180 down to 126 pounds during that ordeal. But he survived, and he lived another 30 years after that, finally dying in 1973. And he never forgot to be grateful. He never forgot the sacrifice of that first life-saving seagull. And he never stopped saying thank you. As he grew older, almost every Friday evening, he would walk down to the end of the pier with his bucket full of shrimp and feed the seagulls with a heart full of gratitude. Friends, don't forget to be thankful. When we get to a good place, we can easily forget where we came from, all that God has done on the way, and forget why He's done it in the first place. Let's remember and be grateful. Amen. Stand with me if you would, please.